Welcome to Unfederated, a podcast for freelancers hosted by a brother and sister who are polar opposites, but have both found a way to make a living doing the work they love. I'm your co-host, Rob Bettis, with me, my polar opposite sister, Sarah Sharp. Hey, Sarah. Hey, Rob. Uh, How's it going? Pretty good. It's a great uh, Sunday here in Denver. Yeah. How are you? Yeah, I'm I'm doing well. We we have the pleasure of, of recording each Sunday night, uh, which is awesome and good. Uh, it's kind of kind of a great way to wrap up the weekend, I think. Agreed. In this episode, so we're going to talk about the pros and cons of freelancing or go, you know, being a solo practitioner in my case, which there are several. Right. Um, and, and we we talk about those a lot. And if you're listening to this podcast and you're thinking about um going out on your own, you're probably thinking about the cons more than the pros because uh, the uncertainties and everything. But I think we should just discuss them both in equal measure. Yeah, I feel like I've found folks that have focused on all the pros and not realistically assessed the cons. And Oh, really? Yeah. And, and those are usually your more, um, you know, uh, What's a good way to put that? More emotional people, more what is it? Uh, right brain kind of folks. Um, okay, and, that's so euphemistic. I love that right brain. Yeah, <laughs> and then then you've got other folks, and I'm probably more guilty of this that just can't get past the cons and aren't really giving due credit to the pros because there's certainly a, a balance there, wouldn't you say? Yeah, I, I mean, I would think that we're very different, but perhaps we're not as polar opposite because I really did focus on on the cons much much more. Um, but now that I'm in it, I focus on the pros pretty much all the time. Mm, yep. <laughs> so uh, I think the first thing on the list uh, of, of what comes to most people's mind is schedule autonomy, where we can just, you know, you control your own schedule. And that was a, a part of life that uh, I found very frustrating in the law firm, especially, you know, with hours between 7 a.m. and 7 p.m. is a lot of that time. There was no, not a lot, but there was some time in there where there was no work to be done or where I was tapped out and not actually doing any work. But yet I was still sitting in the office and that kind of thing. Or if you have, you know, PTO you have to take when you know that there's nothing you could really be doing at work, that stuff starts to really grind on you. Whereas when you're out on your own, you get to um, make your own schedule and work around the things that matter. And I find that I have been much more productive uh, since I've been able to manage my own schedule and fit in my life in the midst of all of my uh, my work stuff. I mean, if nothing else, you don't have to go to the grocery store Sunday night with everybody else. You can go in the middle of the day on a Tuesday and not have any lines. Yeah. That's absolutely the case. And I think, um, you know, you can probably speak to this more than me, but uh, working in a, a traditional office setting, like a law office, there's also the expectation that you're 100% available between seven and seven. And with with disregard to any other work you might be doing and and having, uh, do you find that being out on your own, like you, you're shielded from that when dealing with other attorneys? Oh, absolutely. Um, I get so much, so many fewer emails now than I used to, uh, because there's there's not a level of several lawyers above me, and and it's not the clients, um, typically who need something at nine p.m. at night. It's the partner who actually went to dinner with his wife and uh, came back, and then finally took a look at the thing you did and wants you to turn the changes yeah. uh, that night. 
And that type of delay is completely eliminated. I don't feel any more anxiety when I'm after hours and I get an email. And when I don't know who it is, I used to, I had this kind of Pavlovian, like, you know, my email noise was a railroad sound. It was like, like I'm about to get run over by a train. Of course it was. Yeah, every time. (laughs) And and now it's still a railroad sound because I like that sound and I wanted to take it back. It just doesn't stress me out anymore because clients understand. They're like, hey, I'm reaching out directly to my lawyer at 730 on a Friday. She's not going to get back to me until Monday. I understand that. Right. And if it's urgent, and you do get back, they appreciate it. So it's um, completely, completely different uh, emotional feelings for when you're working late because it's it's something that you have decided is valuable um, and you've chosen to spend your time that way. Yeah. You alluded to this earlier, but one of the big ways that I see this play out in my space is the amount of time it takes me to do a task, right? And um, there's, there's kind of a... Um, uh, psychological uh, principle called Parkinson's law that says that a uh, uh, work expands to fit the time that you have to complete it. Um, so, you know, if, if you have a, a given task that you have an hour to complete or you have 15 minutes to complete, it takes that long. And so I have found that a lot of the work that I was doing at a desk that I had to sit at from nine to five each day, you, you know, would often take till five to complete. Right. And and now in the situation where I have more autonomy, I, that 15-minute task gets completed in 15 minutes and I can move on with the rest of my day. And and having the the freedom to get up and walk out of the room, walk out of the, the office when when the work is done yeah. um, is, is just – it's actually something that made me feel really nervous at first, right? Like right. at first when, when you know, my the revenue wasn't there and, and like I was still growing my business – I felt like I should be sitting at the desk for some reason, you know, like just in yeah. case I needed to be working on working. And, um, as I've, I've kind of been broken away from my conditioning of, of working in traditional office that that's much less. So that is such a good way to put that. I've been dealing with that this summer even, and I haven't, it took me until last week to understand like, Hey, I've been doing this almost two years. Why am I just now realizing you know, I don't really need to be in the office unless, you know, unless there's work I need to do in the office. (laughs) And um, what I realized is because I had been keeping office hours, you know, between seven and seven, 7 a.m. and 7 p.m. And most days I had kind of defaulted to this super lackadaisical chill nine to five. (laughs) And and that felt like nothing for so long. Um, But it's still too long to sit at a desk if you've only got three hours of work to do that day, you know? Yeah. So I've only recently really started. And you know what did it, Rob, is when I was at the lake house just a couple of weeks ago, I was working between 7.30 a.m. and 1.30 p.m. Or every day. And uh, I was out in Tennessee visiting family. Um, and it was beautiful outside. And I was at the lake. And, I, you know, I wanted to keep working. I had tons of stuff going on. 
but I wanted to be at the lake. I wanted to go on the boat. I wanted to, you know, paddleboard and do stuff like that. And I was so motivated that it was one of my record weeks, actually. And I never worked later than one thirty, any of the days. Yeah. <laughs> and I thought I need to bring that home with me. That you know, I need to have something really exciting to do, or just you know, compress my time so I'll be really efficient. And I'm a lawyer, so I bill by the hour. So that's good for my clients too. Yeah, yeah. We have a babysitter that comes to our house and keeps our daughter while we work. My wife and I are both self-employed and, and they leave at three 30 each day. And so that's, that's that thing for us, right? Like we, yeah, we yeah. want to get stuff done by that day, by that time. And that usually means, you know, when, when the babysitter leaves, we usually go for a family walk or, or do, spend some time together. And so it's like, that's an hour and a half that I get with my family each day that, that I don't take for granted that most people aren't getting, which is fantastic. Looking ahead to another one of the cons that that's impactful to me is the freedom to do work that I'm proud of. Uh, I often found in an agency setting, and I suspect this is probably true for you too, um, Sarah, but I often found that, you know, when you work with a team of people, when work shows up at the door and knocks, like you answer, right? Like, and, and if it's, if it's not, quite exactly the kind of work you do, or it's not a project you're excited about, or, you know, maybe you don't think that project is going to deliver as much value to the client as you would like to see. Like, you know, you're incentivized to, as an agency to continue to take, you know, to take that work anyways, right? You've got a bunch of people on board, you've got a lot of mouths to feed and, right. And so it's hard to say no to those, but I think as an employee of one of those agencies, it can be very draining to spend days on end doing projects that you're just not particularly proud of or interested in. In, in my world, I view that more as the freedom to be the type of lawyer that I'm proud of. Mm-hmm. Um, my, I've, I've often asked other lawyers, like, what do you think a good lawyer is? And I think it's important for us to decide what we value in in a lawyer um, before we try to be that because um, that changes things a lot. And a lot of times the partners or the firms I worked for had different opinions on what made a good lawyer and they weren't necessarily wrong. But for me, I think like, you know, being more business minded, understanding um, the soft factors in addition to the hard factors, you know, being able to line out risk um deliberation processes instead of just, you know, telling somebody, Hey, you can't do this. You can't do that. You can't do that. You know, all of those things make you a good lawyer. And now because of not being at a firm and not being on a team of people where every decision has to be, you know, kind of, uh, boiled down to its least offensive, <laughs> most palatable possible, uh, statement, you know, I feel like I'm able to really become a better lawyer and be, a lawyer that I'm proud of, or at least strive to be. Yeah, I think that makes good sense. Immediate feedback and gratification is the next. Um, it, it's tricky when you're solo. Um, I think it's really important to continue to collaborate with colleagues because uh, you don't get the feedback that you might get at a firm where you're working on something with other people or where there's someone who's supervising you um, and reviewing your work. So you really do need to seek that out. And because uh, your, your clients, um, I don't know if this is the same for you, you Rob, but your clients aren't going to be like, good job. 
(laughs) That's a really well done contract Uh and it's going to be, but no, uh, you know, it takes another person in your industry to understand uh, what makes a good piece of work product and the person who's paying you doesn't always appreciate that. And so it can be a little bit of a bummer when you put something together that's really beautiful. And, you know, they, they, I mean, realistically, in my case, they don't even read it. They just sign it. Um, it can be kind of a bummer. Mm-hmm. Yeah. I, I've worked in a couple of settings where, uh, two extremes, one where we had monthly and quarterly reviews and then another where it was just annually you had one meeting a year and where you got some sort of formal and thoughtful response as to your performance you know and there's certainly all the the dozens and dozens of interactions throughout the year that provided some level of of feedback but i actually found that both are just uh, super challenging, like being measured on an, a monthly basis, put an extra emphasis on everything. And on an annual basis, just seem bizarre. Like any company that does that t- to this day just blows my mind. I don't understand how you would want someone to work for you for an entire year without providing any sort of recognition of a job well done or correcting if if the job is not living up to your standards. <laughs> and And I think for me, at least, um, I get this now through the form of revenue. And, and, you know, I don't think the work I do, generally speaking, is all about the money. But a lot of the digital marketing I do, a lot of my clients are e-commerce clients. So I can measure my performance with them through the money I make for them. And then I can measure my performance for me, for my business, at the end of the month when I send out bills, you know, and, and if I try new things and it's successful, if I try new things and it's not successful, I, I get, you know, just a couple weeks later, I, I usually see the fruits of, of, of those efforts. Another pro that I think is worth considering is, and, and this is kind of a, a pro and a con. So this would be our last pro and kind of segue into the cons, but it's the freedom to fail. I, as I kind of alluded to earlier, the revenue my billing each month provides a really good litmus test of how well business is going and how well I'm performing. And I think that's wonderful. And one tangential aspect of that, that I didn't expect to see when I went, when I went solo was the ability to fail and move on. You know, you fail in a, in a traditional setting you know you're going to hear about it again in your review, you know, be it nine months later. You oftentimes have multiple bosses that want to come and talk to you about that. And they're, and like that failure becomes this whole thing that you that requires attention and management, you know, and, and the ability to move past it, even if you've learned your lesson quickly, seems like a much more of a challenge than it really needs to be. Um, and, you know, of course it reminds me of the TPS reports in office space and he has all the managers come <laughs> and, and speak to him, but you know, it's, it's very, uh, unnecessarily oftentimes overwhelming that, that failure. And so one thing I've noticed in my own business is, is I can fail, I can acknowledge the failure and I can move on so much more quickly. I, I often re- consider that kind of a competitive advantage to a lot of 
the folks that I would be competing against being other more traditional agencies. You can make decisions without having to be so unbelievably careful and take zero, zero risk. Because like you said, you can turn on a dime, you know, and, and you can change positions without having to run it up a flagpole to 45 different people, which was always a little bit of an issue for, for me as an, in an associate level, um, having to, I'd be communicating with the client usually. And then before I could really say one way or another, have to run it through the partner, the partner is unavailable. They need time to think about it. I don't hear back for you know, 72 hours or something. And, um, by then that might not be the best decision anymore, but you know, with, with you and I, we can really make a decision. We can advise, or um, start a plan of action, and then also um, write it off. Mm-hmm. If if I do something with a client, um, and a lot of what I want to do is keep people from being sued or what have you. But it sometimes, you know, say a client decides they want to start a company, and to your point in the last podcast. Uh, after me asking them many times to look at their non-compete, they finally produce it and, hey, they can't lawfully start that company. Well, they, you know, I could pay, I could charge them for the time it took me to tell them that. Or I could write that off and move on and say, hey, you know, that's the cost of doing business. Hit me up with your next idea. Yeah, just build that goodwill instead. Yeah, yeah. and that's awesome. Or, you know, it, let's say you do something great. I, I put together what I believed was a really beautiful agreement for a client and um, he, he didn't want it. He wanted a shorter one. And so that's okay. Uh, you know, I, I wrote off the first one and wrote a shorter one. Um, you, you can overshoot things, you can undershoot things, and you can correct in a way that's just so much more fair than when you're in a traditional employment scenario. Yeah. And, you know, I think oftentimes people think about doing business like with a freelancer and you get someone flaky or you get someone that's uh, not polished, not professional. And I've, I've often, to your point, found the opposite to be true. To me, I feel like my clients feel very much more affirmed in dealing with me as a freelancer because I have ultimate autonomy to make those decisions. You know, they ask me to do a particular thing or or the circumstances dictate a particular thing. It's not a matter of the company policy or trying to get someone else's approval to do what's logical or do what's fair. You know, the ability to just say on that phone call in that moment to say yes or no, or what about this, or how do we deal with this in, in the fairest way, um, provides a lot of, a lot of benefit, I think. Oh yeah. And in my world, that means they, you know, they have one lawyer. Um, and and a lot of times I'm talking to other lawyers just for advice, but they're not getting charged for three lawyers to sit on a phone call or two lawyers to talk to each other about the best avenue forward. Which you would in a bigger firm, right? Absolutely. And I don't, I mean, I have not seen anything to make me believe that the results are better. I've seen a lot to make me think that the results are more conservative. Yeah. Well, that wraps up our pros and kind of this lightning round. Uh, I want to start on the cons and ironically, the first con is, was the last pro and that's that freedom to fail. Um, I think the counterbalance of having that autonomy and having that flexibility is that it can work both ways. And if you do fail, it's much easier to, and you don't have any of the checks and balances or the, um, bureaucracy that can sometimes feel like it's stifling, you know, opportunity, but at the same time also provides a safety net in, in certain situations. 
so that multiple eyes are seeing something before it goes out the door or multiple people involved to catch the, you know, obvious thing that's not being, not being seen with great responsibility comes great power. And, and so there's also this, this ability to just completely drop the ball if, if you're not careful. That is very true. You have to, but I mean, you can mitigate this, right? You can, and you should um, seek out other people Mm -hmm. uh, and keep learning. Um, but it's a real risk. I mean, yeah, a good example of this just really silly, um, is a typo. There's nothing quite like uh, opening up a contract that you've used several times (laughs) with several clients and finding a typo, um, is frustrating because that was, uh, you know, you, you've uh, used that without catching it several times and maybe had you had more eyes on it, you'd, you'd have find it, found it earlier. But I have like several deals with other lawyers where we'll not charge each other to, you know, be the second set of eyes on the, on the work and, and things like that. Um, to kind of yeah. prevent that from happening a little bit. I've also used some software solutions um, yeah. to kind of help with like Grammarly and and some other yes. things like that to provide some of those administrative roles to the best of my ability to, to not have to require hiring a, a vendor or a second employee, but um, to, to cover those as best I can, as affordably as I can. There's, it's just you have to care and you have to keep trying to and perfect your processes to make up for that. I mean, at least there's no diffusion of responsibility like at the typical employer where, you know, everyone thinks that another person's going to catch the typo. So they don't really read that closely. Right. Um, the, uh, the next con is similar feeling the losses. I ride a Honda Ruckus to, to work downtown show off, show off. I'm, this is, yeah, it's important that you know this. Uh, <laughs> it's 50 cc's of, raw battery operated scooter and um (laughs) it uh when i'm driving to work i often it's great because you can't mess around on your phone or uh really listen to much you need those uh auditory elements as well so it's really meditative and that i think about work going in and i think a lot about how um freelancing or being a solo practitioner is like riding a scooter instead of riding a, a truck right because it's the same road. I mean, the risk is there when you're at a normal employer. You could be fired in any moment. Nothing's guaranteed. You know, the productivity of the company has an effect on you. But it's much gentler <laughs> and much more delayed. When you're when you're solo or when you're driving the scooter, every little bump and every little uh, dip in the road, you really feel it. Um, and you it, it changes your approach to the road. I mean... I get over on the third lane uh, after 11th because there's this huge bump in the road um, that I never would have noticed if I had just been driving a truck every time. So I think, you know, that's dumb. And I only think about it because I'm riding a 50cc scooter to work every morning. But um, I think it's true when you have losses and you're out on your own, you do feel them um, much more. And it's not that they're that much more extreme than they were before or at a regular uh, traditional employer, but you know, that's your ability to pay your bills and you, um, you have a lot of anxiety associated with, um, having a down month, for instance, um, or losing a client can be really stressful 
uh, in a way that it wouldn't be at a traditional employer. Mm-hmm. Yeah. And, and I would imagine avoiding that bump on the ruckus has probably made worthwhile for your, the ease of being able to park or the gas mileage or any, any other number of things okay. that help counterbalance that, but that doesn't make the bump any less real. Exactly. Dollar 25. That's how much it takes to fill up that tank. That's, <laughs> that's unbelievable. <laughs> True story. I will post a picture of me filling it up because I almost always take one because I'm like, seriously? And it's only like every three or four months I'm filling it up. I'm sure. It's crazy. Well, for folks that don't know, and I'm going to assume most of you do, uh, the Unfederated podcast is kind of an extension of a brand that was started about a year ago, um, which is... Uh, a group of freelancers uh, that that originally started in Chattanooga called Unfederated. And if you have been to the main site before unfederated.life, then you've probably seen examples of that. And um, we've got a Facebook group and we've got um, some, uh, we have historically done some in-person training sessions and meetups and all that sort of thing. And as uh, as that group has grown and expanded and people have come and gone in the midst, far and away, like the biggest concern that comes out of those conversations and, and one-on-one meetings is, is, is our next con. And that's, that's how to deal with traditional benefits. And uh, we happen to be, um, you know, not to get political at all, but we happen to be in a season in our, our country's story where uh, health insurance uh, has been a, under a huge microscope for a few years and has changed a lot in the last few years. Um, and so that has affected businesses across the board. And but in particular, uh, self-employed folks have have probably seen or felt that weight at a, a, the higher capacity than a lot of businesses do just because of the smaller amount of margin. And so when I meet with folks that, that want to take the jump and want to go solo, you know, oftentimes that's a big thing that's holding them up in particular, if you're the solo income for your house household or, or what have you kind of a, kind of a big hurdle to, to overcome that. And I'm sure we'll do a future episode about it and how we kind of each approach that. But needless to say, that's, that's certainly one that you want to have a plan for. Yeah. That's worth a whole episode. The next con is um, lack of internal support uh, specific to like when you're out of the office or you're on vacation or um, let's see any any kind of um, family uh, uh, issue or tragedy um, that might keep you away from the office where normally you would have, let's say, an out of office message on your email that said, you know, for any immediate support, contact my secretary and then your secretary like knows who to ask for all the questions. That's the way it always was <laughs> for me <laughs> before I went out on my own. Um, but uh, I, you know, there's a lot of different ways to deal with it. First of all, um, clients are super supportive and understanding. So usually unless it's an actual emergency, they'll appreciate that you're out of the office. Second of all, I just check my email all the time. (laughs) Oh, vacation. Yeah, there is no vacation ever, but also life is so enjoyable. Why would you need a vacation? Um, At least that's what I'm currently telling myself. And um, third of all, I have uh, several colleagues who are in the same spot, right? And so, um, you know, I joined with several really great attorneys in this little um, kind of like skeleton law firm 
scenario that we'll talk about in a different um, episode. But uh, through that, a lot of the people who are in the same spot are more than happy to be that name on your away message in case anything crazy happens um, because they know that they need that too. And so that's the way I've kind of dealt with that. But it still causes tons of anxiety because, I mean, realistically, they don't um, know the clients that, you know, yeah, there's. Uh, you you're just going to have to be on call all the time. Yeah. Yeah, I think that's I think that's the ultimate thing. If you're a kind of person that needs to unplug and needs to, you know, be able to not you know, go away for a week to 10 days and not do any work at all, then then this might be a big hurdle for you. I mean, there's there's elements of this that are hard to get away from. And and Sarah mentioned a couple of ways to mitigate that and we'll talk about more in future episodes, but um, but the, the reality of it is, is still very real. I love, um, my life and the ways I'm able to travel and stuff, for instance, but a lot of my travel and, and you know, I'm traveling all the time and that a lot of it is intentionally limited to, um, this time zone, for instance, mm-hmm. just because, um, my husband knows that I need to work wherever I am. And we had plans to go to South Africa and the time difference there was so extreme that, it just became just too big of a nightmare to even consider recently. So, so you went to, you went to South Dakota instead. I did. Yeah. It's, it's beautiful in the winter. That's what they never <laughs> tell you. I went to Hawaii. It was oh, great. Yeah. That sounds better. I'm complaining about going to Hawaii. If you've listened to the whole story, that's the complaint. That's right. <laughs> it yeah. is con- conless. That's what we're supposed to do. <sighs> Love it. So the, the last con that we want to hit on is, um, is the need to wear all the hats. And this is kind of the all encompassing one that really could sum up a lot of the other cons. And that's just that things that used to, most businesses have departments that deal with things like human resources and they have departments that deal with things like payroll. They have departments of, you know, like legal teams or if not uh, internally um, selected vendors that help with legal issues. And, I think one of the things that is a very real uh, reality of uh, being on your own is is having to wear all those hats. I mean, you need to at least have some degree of competency um, in every area. And that's either enough to get by on your own or enough to look at something and assess something well enough to pull in a third-party vendor. And that's not easy. And if, you know, depending on the level of experience that you have and, and your career path so far and, um, how, what your aptitude for some of those things are, um, that can be really intimidating, like accounting and bookkeeping, or it can be not such a big deal, but it's something that has to be addressed. And I, I I meet with a lot of freelancers that have just kind of buried their head in the sand on some aspect. There's some thing that are like, well, I'm not good at that. So I'm just going to ignore it. (laughs) And that's, that's a surefire way to end up in a pickle. Oh my gosh, that is so true. And I've done that. Um, so I would just recommend if you're, if you're thinking about going out or if you are already out, just force yourself to stare at it and think realistically, what is the thing you are the worst at? Because that you're going to have to do that. Mm -hmm. And your whole, uh, your whole profitability and your ability to pay your bills and have a successful career 
is going to be affected by how bad you are at that thing. You can always, you know, hire vendors for sure. I have, you know, wonderful other freelancers who do things like bookkeeping and whatnot, but like, but, you know, they can't, um, call Wells Fargo for you and make changes to the account that need to happen because (laughs) they're not on the account. You know, there's always things that only you can do and you need to be proficient enough to be able to supervise the vendors and know if uh, they're doing a good job. Yeah. I think spending some really honest time looking at your weaknesses is necessary and as painful as it sounds like it is. Yeah. Well, I I mean, that's a lot of information in a short amount of time, but I think our hope for this episode was to give someone who's on the other side of the fence thinking about taking the jump a fair assessment of what life is going to be like once they do. And just kind of looking, I mean, you know, that one step when you make that final move and you make that final jump, all of a sudden, you know, this reality kind of comes down on you and and um, hopefully you'll be as prepared as possible to to uh to roll with the punches when they start coming in um kind of on a related note to this i wanted uh do put in one plug for the unfederated facebook group which we'll link to in the show notes it is a great place to find some vendors to help you with some of these ancillary things if if you've you know listen to this episode and you're scratching your head and say okay i really need to deal with this issue that's that i've kind of been ignoring um perhaps it's a, a great way to find a good solution to that Oh, absolutely. And, you know, make that list of people and things that you need to be good at and and piece off the ones you're not good at. If it's marketing or if it's, I mean, there's so many people in Unfederated that can are in the same position as you are who can, the, the thing they're good at is the thing you're bad at. So make those connections. Yeah. Well, that's great. I think that wraps up this episode. Um, you can find show notes at uh, unfederated.studio and you can find more information about the Unfederated group at unfederated.life. Sarah, thanks for joining and thanks for all your great thoughts. You too, Rob. All right. We'll see you next week. Later, brother.